Welcome to the iSmart Podcast Show with Tom Rogers, founder and CEO of iSmart Networks. We help connect entrepreneurs with key partnerships to build financial freedom. The average millionaire has seven streams of income, and our guests reveal how they created multiple streams in their businesses. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around for the end of the show, where I'll reveal how you could be our next guest on one of the fastest growing daily transformational podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Okay, thanks for joining iSmart Podcast. On the show today, we have Stephen Mead. He's the CEO of Moneta Pro. Uh, he's well known for being the bullseye guy. He's a speaker. He's done a lot of phenomenal things. He's also grown three public companies, one that hit a market cap of a billion dollars. Pretty phenomenal. Uh, Stephen, thanks for so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Tom. So, dude, we have a lot to talk about. Um, you know, the bullseye guy, we can go into that and that whole structure because there is a pretty phenomenal concept um, that I want to explore essentially about how you're able to use this, you know, to grow these companies, this strategy, but uh, where did you grow up originally? Well, I, I joke, I'm a lifelong entrepreneur, never had a job and technically I'm unhirable. I, I learned that um, uh, years after college, but grew up in Kansas city, uh, sports there, moved to Chicago years ago. Uh, started my entrepreneurial journey. I started uh, selling watches out of Kansas City when I was 18 years old. <laughs> I did a company called Times Up. Cool. So, so you did that when you're? How old were you when you when you first started to kind of hustle the watches? <laughs> 18. I was a friend of mine was selling watches out of his apartment out of styrofoam containers. They were 35 to 50 dollar fashion watches. <laughs> he bought them for five to eight dollars, and I'm pretty good at math. I'm not really good, but I went, wait yeah. a minute, margin. He made thirty dollars a watch, and the apartments during that time in Kansas City were three hundred dollars a month. And I thought I can sell ten watches and have my own apartment. I'm in, dude. Done, right? <laughs> that's that's how we started was selling them, and then convinced him to put money up, and we opened stores and took it from there. So did you go to college or did you, did you, or were you self-educated or how, what did you do? At, at, yeah, I actually, I, I went to school, played soccer, track, volleyball. So three sports competitively started out to be a doctor and learned very quickly. I can't stand blood and my mind's not wired for science, like math, science, mm -hmm. physics, chemistry. I sucked at it. My mind was wired for business and I ended up getting a business and marketing degree from uh, University of Missouri out, out of Kansas City. Fantastic. So, uh, so you kind of, you, you decided after kind of a short term that, you know, becoming a doctor wasn't for you. Was it because your kind of parents or kind of motivated you in that direction or was there some, some kind of, no, nobody in my family's an entrepreneur. They've never understood me. And, and still to this day, they still don't know what I do. I've started 11 companies. As you said, I've had three public five companies I'm the first one in the world to have ever done something. No, my mom was in the military. My dad was a construction worker. My brother has worked at Ford doing the same job on the same line in the same plant for 20 seconds. <laughs> These are good. This is a classic. This is a classic. Love my brother, but I would go crazy. Yeah. So <laughs> no, nothing entrepreneurial in the family. I just, I love it. People are just wired differently. 
yeah, no, I mean, you get it. You know, it's like, I love the, un- I'm in higher role kind of status. I always felt that I got, I got fired from every one of my jobs because I just tr- stopped trying, you know, cause I was like, this is pointless, you know, like time to move on. Right. Um, so, so you got your, you got your business degree, university of Missouri. Right. And then from there, um, you know, did you immediately go into business afterwards? You get, you could work for a company for a little bit. What happened? Yeah, I've never, well, I kind of worked for a company. So here's a quick little arc that'll help us accelerate into the conversation. Retail stores in college, my accountant was doing credit improvement. I was 20 at that time. So I took this process of, of paperwork he was doing and my mind has always been, how do I scale, duplicate, replace myself? I ended up having an infomercial called Give Yourself Credit when I was 21. I had the fourth ever infomercial on television. It was great. It would show up, 800 number. People would call the 800 service, took the orders, sent us checks and mailing labels, and we wrote mailing labels and mailed books. $20,000, a week, we were making doing nothing. And then all of a sudden, we weren't because all these people with bad credit couldn't pay with credit cards. We'd send them the book thinking they were going to pay and they never did. A whole <laughs> different story. I won't go into it. Yeah. But when I was 22, I went to work at Travelers Group. And that's where this arc really started is it was a super competitive insurance, mutual funds, mortgages, full commission, independent contractor. And I got connected with some guys out of Kansas City that were just crushing it. They were making four to $600,000 a year, 27, 28 years old. And I thought, I can do this. And I spent six and a half years there. Uh, and through the course of that time, that was where the bullseye comes from, is I read 357 books in six and a half years. And anytime you say that, people are like, oh, no, that's impossible. The math is super easy. We, we learned to reduce to the ridiculous. That's one book per week. And the goal was to read a book, dissect the elements out of it that were most important, and then teach that to your sales force. It's called stacking. And if I could stack a new skill every week over 52 weeks or 100, you can technically improve by stacking a skill set. And so that was where this came from. And I developed a 10-step program. It used to be called isolation is a good thing. And it was a little too quaint because people thought it was about being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so we changed it. It's called a bullseye belief system. And it's 10 steps, very tactical. It's not foo-foo. It's do this, say this. And I've used that to build companies. And as you said, I've had three public companies that we started, uh, all small cap OTC bulletin board, but still kind of an interesting concept of being able to start a company and have public exits on what we've done. No, hundred percent. You know, I think books are extremely important in the process. And one of, there's a lot of frustration around um, getting, you know, that kind of golden nugget out of the book. So that way you can, you know, get the meat of it, um, apply it to your life, implement it, create great habits, and then kind of move on. Was there like a strategy that you used to be able to, to be able to identify like those golden nuggets in the book? Did you go through and look through like the table of contents and, you know, read or just read the first chapter I've heard, um, or read the back of the book? Like what, what did you do? Was there a process? No, really, it was reading the entire book because, and you've read, Tom, as well. What you'll learn, especially in the self-improvement sales category, is a lot of information is repeated. People say the same thing. They just try and tweak it and say a little differently. 80% of their book is fluff. They're like just trying to fill pages. Right. So when you learn that, and I read three on how to do speed reading. So I learned to, to comprehend quicker. 
But yeah, the goal was really to find those one or two action items, those elements that you could implement to not have to get through all the fluff. So I didn't, you know, read the covers. I didn't do anything. Today, I don't hardly ever read any books. I read nine newspapers a day, but I use a little app called Blinkist. Okay. I don't know if you know Blinkist. Yeah, I've heard of Blinkist, yeah. Blinkist is sort of like Cliff Notes. So now I can read eight to 10 pages of a, of a shortened book, decide if it's something I want to invest in. Yeah. Rather than, you know, investing in a book and finding out it, it has no elements I want. Cool. I love it. So, so let's go back into the bullseye belief system. Um, so there's, there's a certain kind of, uh, it's like a stack or a strategy that you've been able to utilize throughout mm -hmm. years. What is the kind of the beginning of that stack? Have you written a book on this or no? Uh, the book's coming out. The reason I don't want to do a book is it doesn't fit my, my step number one is design your destiny. Okay. And design your destiny is what's a personal net worth you want to have? What kind of people do you want to hang around? Do you want a business or a company? Do you want to travel or not? Do you want a product or it's, it's learning how to articulate exactly what you want your life to be because you can build a company and it's not what you want. You could say you want to travel and you really don't. So that step one is coming up with eight or 10 criterias of what you want in a lifestyle to be in a personal net worth. Being a book author doesn't give me enough of the things that I want. Even if I was really successful, it, it, it doesn't give it to me. But I'm, the book's coming out. I'm just going to give it away for free. But yeah, step one is called Design Your Destiny. Again, a little spinoff of Stephen Covey's Begin With The End In Mind. Mm -hmm. But it's an entire process to walk people through What's financial independence? What's that number? How much do you have to have saved in order to live off the interest? If you had that and had more, what would you do for other people? And you learn how to shift your mind where it's not about money, it's about motivation of what you want your life to be like. And then as an entrepreneur, you can measure your ideas against those outputs. Yeah, 100%. So step one is this kind of clear, definitive goal. Um, and I shared a story with you before we started. I made the mistake with, virtual sellers, my, my goal for a company worth X wasn't the right goal. So I've kind of learned how to be more specific as time goes on. Yeah, I love it. Well, what's, uh, so, so step one is design your destiny. What would be step? Yeah, I can, I'll go through them really quick. I can share yeah. with anybody that wants it. The videos are up, PowerPoints. You already have a website. Uh, it's that about we can a three hour program. Either. I just did it 45 minutes the other day for guys in Korea. Step two very quickly is called Wifu Wifum. What's in it for you? What's in it for me? I have to figure out how to add value to you, what's important to you. Even structurally sending emails that doesn't say, Tom, I met you at this event, I did that. It's you and I met here, you spoke about this, you mentioned, I start emails with you just because it fires the synapses off where you pay more attention. Mm -hmm. So how do I find out what's important to you? Step three is actually this little bullseye behind me. What you do as an entrepreneur is irrelevant. I don't care what you do. I, you're going to try and explain to me all day long what you do, and I'm probably not going to understand it anyway. What you need is important. I need to understand what you need. And so the bullseye system in step three is what's the emotional value of what you do? There's something cool. What's the industries that you sell into or your best customers? What are the companies in those industries? What's the title of the person you're selling to? And who are the five people by name you want to meet? I don't need to know what you, what you need is I need this company and this title and this person, I can help you. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I leave going, oh, Tom's got a car wash. Cool. No, you want corporate clients and here's your best corporate. So I've developed this system to articulate down. It's called isolation of faces, psychological sequencing, stuff like that. Step four is deflect, defer, and disclose. If you ask me what I do, I'm never going to tell you first because I I, I do so many things. I'm not going to just throw up on the wall. I want to learn about you. So I'll say, oh, you know, we have an incubator, but Tom, tell me more about you. Tell me more about iSmart. Now I'm in control of that conversation and I can ask you the questions. You don't know how to give me the answers. So deflect, defer, and disclose moves to step five which is reverse the bullseye. So I'd say, hey, Tom, what's cool about what you do? What are the companies you're selling into? Oh, you're going after corporate clients. Who are your best corporate clients? Like what industry is the best? Have you targeted any companies? Who do you, I can sequence down and ask you the questions to figure out what you need. And then it's called referral currency or psychological jujitsu. <laughs> hey, Tom, let me remind me when we're done. Here's two or three or four people I'll introduce you to. But let me tell you what I do. So by the time I disclose to you what I do, I've learned about you, your business, your company, and I've offered to help you, which is again, step two, where now when I tell you what I do, you're more likely to help me because yeah. I'm helping you. It's like a go-giver mentality. You're, you're going in to provide value, to get information, to see how you can be a person that could, you know. So that's why it's step two is you yeah. have to learn. And everybody, I hate this when you go to networking, but well, how can I help you? Like, that, that's the worst question because it, it, it's too generic. So I've learned how to kind of sequence down, like what's cool about what you do? What's the industry? What's the company? What's the title? People go, oh, I want to do business with Disney. Disney has 87,000 employees. Like who's your buyer? If it's the CFO, what's that guy's name? Because somebody will know that guy. So, so it's all these things that build up. Step six is called take meetings early and often. Basically, I go into big companies saying, here's what I'm building. Why won't this work? What am I doing wrong? Who's my competition? What stage do I need to be at to one day do business with you? I don't go in saying, I've built this. We're amazing. I go in humbly saying, why won't this work? Who's my competition? Mm-hmm. Uh, I teach how to, to make a phone call, which is basically not, hey, Tom, I'm Stephen Mead. And you're like, who are you? Why are you calling? It's Hey, Tom, I'm Steven. I got your name and number from so-and-so. Did I catch you at a good time? It's like sequential, three steps, don't pause. Um, yeah, referrals, you know, it's, yeah, it's, how I to get similar referrals. thing with my course. You know, like when you're calling someone, you want to have like a referral. You want to say, hey, congratulations on the new purchase or the new and landing this new office, you know, and you say, you say you do a little bit more research. So that way you have uh, a bit more rapport. And it's closer. It's not really a cold call, you know. Correct. That's if you end up doing cold call stuff, which what I teach you learn out of. But let me let me cover that for a minute, Tom. I'm going to go back. If I would, we can catch up on the other ones in this. What's in it for you? What's in it for me? Just like you said years ago, I tell this story all the time. We've got it on video. I I wanted a meeting with the former president of ABC, a guy named Steve McPherson. He's great. Yeah. I didn't know him. I was working with a guy in entertainment. I'm like, hey, Steve just left ABC. He created Desperate Housewives and all these Dancing with the Stars. My friend John, I throw him under the bus all the time. John wrote this great email. I'm John Pattison. I've won four Emmys. I created that. He was three paragraphs on how great John is to try and convince Steve to meet with us. I said, none of that matters. I rewrote the entire email in like four sentences. To your point, Tom, 
I went and researched them, but my secret Google, my secret, <laughs> secret Google, Google is what's important to. Right. I Googled what's important to Steve McPherson and an article came up from Hollywood Reporter where he talked about he was embarrassed at what happened at Disney, wanted to find something he could do to leave a legacy for his daughters. He wants something his kids could be proud of. That was my email. Dear Mr. McPherson, you were recently featured in Hollywood Reporter. You mentioned wanting to find something to leave a legacy for you and your daughters. I have something that might be able to help you accomplish your goal left to meet. Love it. 17 minutes later, great. How about coffee bean in the Palisades? <laughs> so I, I totally get the, oh, let's go find something. To People don't care about congratulations. It's what's, what's next for them? What's important to them? Yeah. Yeah, that's so, really good. Learn how to call a referral. Then I look, teach how to make introductions at events. You know, so if I know enough about what you're doing, if I've asked you this reversed bullseye technique, I know what you're looking for. I can introduce you by setting the, the premise to say, oh, Tom, you should meet this guy. Here's what Tom's doing here. Here's why you should talk. Don't go, oh, Tom, you should talk to Joe. He's a great guy. I could pull my hair out because the, the people don't know where to start that conversation. The better you are at setting the table for that conversation, the more both of those parties now want to help you. Mm -hmm. So again, it's like building on top of these things. Nine is learn how to negotiate. The best negotiation technique in the world I can teach in one quarter of a second. Every entrepreneur in the world needs, you can go read Chris Voss's book. Chris, a friend of mine, he's the number one hostage negotiator in the world. I teach a technique that's better than Chris's entire book. And I love Chris. I've, I've joked with him. <laughs> the best negotiation technique in the world is flinch. Flinch. Somebody offers you money for your car, even if it's more than what you want, flinch. They offer you more for your company than you think it's worth, still flinch. Because if you don't, if you immediately take the offer, that person will think they can get a better deal. They'll think there's something wrong. Always, always, always flinch. And then step 10 is learn how to build a good advisory board and treat an advisory board like building a house. Not that I can't go paint wall. I don't want to paint walls. I want to hire the best. I want the best person in the world to tell me what color it should be. And, the, and as an entrepreneur, your company kind of tacks along and it may move. So I'm a big proponent of advisors until mm -hmm. you need them. And I get amazing global advisors. How? I target them using the bullseye, but I figure out what's important to them. So step two, I can get an advisor if I know what's in it for them. They may need help with something else. They need help with a company. They may have a passion project. They may need something that makes them look cool because they want to leave. Like, you got to find out what's important to get your advisors, but you target them using systems. So Definitely. that's all 10, pretty quick. That's all 10. That was super quick. Yeah, super yeah. valuable. I um, love it, dude. So, so you utilize this structure, you know, from, and this was over 367 books or 357 books over a six year period working with these companies. And then through now, what is your goal right now with, with uh, Mantra Pro? Because with- Mineta Pro? Yeah, Mineta Pro, you know, it's a very interesting company. And I did want to spend a little bit of time on that because this is your current company that, you've, that you're operating, but then you're also kind of mentoring and helping and, and speaking, um, utilizing the bullseye kind of yeah. theory and strategy. Can you, can, you, can you briefly go into that? Yeah, so Mineta Pro, the very first form of portable currency ever was barter. That's how the civilization of the world started. I've got chickens, you've got milk. Hey, Tom, let's trade. You want chickens, I don't want milk. We need portability, we need currency. 
the Mineta, the Calrissian seashell, the Mineta shell was the first portable currency ever. Not the Lira coin. That's the first coin. The first currency were the seashells. That's where the word money comes from. Hmm. So in the world of barter, it's your local auto mechanic, printer, restaurant. You're getting menus printed. That barter space is a small business who shops on Amazon and uses QuickBooks as an accounting program. That same world in the corporate barter is called counter trade. A company like Ford will trade $10 million worth of cars with Caterpillar or $10 million worth of trucks with Merce to get free shipping. Like these big companies do these corporate offsets. Mm-hmm. But the same circumstance happens is you have to negotiate equal value. We built a global marketplace. It's enterprise, meaning unlike Amazon, that's a username and password. Ours is hierarchies, divisions, departments, rights, authorities. And we built an internal credit called a G-Buck, a business usage credit. It's like store credit in Amazon. Mm-hmm. Now a company like Ford can sell trucks, receive credits, move those credits to the procurement department and procurement can use those credits to buy tires, batteries, parts, shipping. So technically we built the world's first closed loop payment system for corporate barter, $17 trillion space, never been automated, big companies, big enterprise, which is the good news. The bad news is big companies, big enterprise, slow, (laughs) long, COVID yeah. shut down. They think in quarters, like we were in Dubai in March, trying to close something in April. Now they're on the fourth quarter. Yeah. Like, guys, how about four weeks from now, four days from now, four hours from now? Oh, no. Call us in the fourth quarter. So That's enterprise is different. I mean, you're kind of like you're expanding in a, in a whole new space, right? You're the first company that's tried to do this and automate it globally, correct? Correct. But just just like we talk about with the bullseye, What I did there, if I can real quick, because I think it's interesting to share how I use these techniques even for our own companies. Mm -hmm. Because it's a $17 trillion industry, people are like, oh, who's your customer? It could be anybody. And you start getting referrals at different companies and different levels where people try to help. Too arbitrary. My bullseye for the sales, I took the 2,000 largest companies in the world based on assets. That's the outside ring of the bullseye. Mm -hmm. Then I looked at the top 10 industries that have a history of trading, companies that are already doing this activity, airlines, automotive, media, consumer electronics, food and drink, oil and gas, natural resources, shipping, 987 companies in the world, biggest in the world in those 10 industries. From there, I found 88 articles of companies that had a history of trading with each other. So now in an article press release, I have two companies, the type of trade, and the name of the person who did that. Now I have some targets. From there, there's 47 I had direct relationships with. My target bullseye were the top 10 companies that I had the strongest relationship with that were also local, being US-based, so I don't have to fly to Germany for Porsche and BMW. Mm-hmm. So I said, here's my top 10 companies for Mineta Pro. It's IBM, it's Ford, it's WPP, it's Caterpillar. And from there, our conversations have now gone out. So now conversations with Ford are also with BMW and Porsche. They aren't with Joe's auto mechanic. Yeah, that makes sense because you, you, you kind of just like really narrowed it down. You went from like this, you know, 10,000 foot level 
right? And then you use the bullseye method to be able to hammer down to like, okay, where's my next step? And I think that's a lot of the big problems when it comes to building a company or to getting or growing, um, you know, your, your, your endeavor, whatever you're doing, right? Is people get lost in, okay, where do I start? You know, where yeah. do I start? How do I get to the point where I'm going to take my next step? Because I mean, it, honestly, like, you know, every business is pretty much a huge mountain. And if you're doing a $17 trillion market, it's a pretty massive mountain. So you don't know where you're going to start. You're going to get lost in that puppy real quick. That's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. And the other challenge, Tom, as an entrepreneur is people all the time, especially in, 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 in smaller business are like, oh, well, I can help anybody. I can help everybody. I don't want to limit my opportunities. My mindset's the exact opposite. I'd rather tell you my customer is Ford and have you refer me to the CFO or the procurement officer of BMW, Porsche, Hyundai than to say, oh yeah, I can help anybody. And you you waste my time because I've wasted the opportunity to say, here's exact, exactly what I want. So I'd rather have 10 people know I want Ford and three people send me another car company then to have 10 people sending me a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. Hammering down. Um, so, so with Moneta, what's your goals with Moneta Pro? I mean, you, I mean, you obviously this is a fairly new, uh, new company you started. My goal is to close another $5 million round of funding, which we're in right now, secure three to five companies on my target 10 list as charter members within the next six to nine months. It could be other ones, but I've got a list. And the goal is to sell it for between four and six billion dollars within three years, and for me to maintain at least sixty-five percent of that exit. Because again, I learned my lesson. I think we talked about this. I had a company goal, and and the goal was wrong. So I can talk about that if you want. But yeah, the the target for this is a four to six billion dollar acquisition. Where did I come up with that? Ariba, which is run by Keith Kroc, also a DocuSign. Ariba sold in a similar space to SAP for 6.2 billion. Keith's on my board. So I'm like, oh, I've looked at Ariba, looked at Commerce One, I've looked at Amazon who wants to get into the business to business space, not business to consumer, looked at Alibaba. So I've got an arc of potential you know, exit strategies, mm -hmm. but the hard lift is building software, number one, and two, getting those first three to five companies to come on Use your software, start promoting it to other people and prove it works. That, that extrinsic value is those first three, five, 10 customers. From there, somebody will acquire you and they'll scale it up. Just so I don't want to go public. I don't want to run it forever. I want out. Right. But as far as the, uh, the technology and the software and all, that's, that's built now where those. So, yeah, software is built. It, it actually, when I took my company public in 99, it was e-commerce. It's kind of what became PayPal. In the year 2000, I tried to build software for some called Two Exchange, which is almost identical to Mineta Pro today. But back in 2000, we built it, calling it a global currency. And, and, and the problem was people asked me all the wrong questions. They, they kept thinking I was a currency or an exchange when exchanges were collapsing. And so again, I, I positioned it wrong and got asked all the wrong questions. Right. The software today, Six and a half million dollars in the software. We've won eight contests around the world in blockchain. I've actually, I'm like the JD Powers of blockchain. I've won more contests on the planet than any other company in the blockchain startup space. Love it. It's kind of interesting. We integrated our invoice into the IBM blockchain component. So we're using blockchain 
not for crypto and tokens and currency. I know that world really well. We're using blockchain as inventory management. So it's a better use of a database. So if a big company like Ford transfers assets, yeah. unlike Amazon, right? You click on your Amazon order history, you get a list of all the things you bought. That doesn't communicate anywhere. It's just, here's all the things you bought in Amazon. Mm -hmm. Was a big company, if one of those things were a thousand cars that were bought or sold, they need to get re-entered into your accounting systems, SAP and Oracle, these big modules. Mm -hmm. So we write our invoice to blockchain to update asset modules for these big companies. So we're technically not a blockchain company, but I was for 18 months because blockchain was hot and that allowed us to win. Blockchain content. was hot, still, still kind of hot, right? So I mean- it, it is, but just to the point, now if you say blockchain, people automatically think it's Bitcoin monetary. or crypto or yeah. they, they conflate it because they don't know the difference. Well, and there's I so joke, many different I'm, spaces in blockchain that you can go into like real estate. People think they're going to travel like right, you, real estate's eventually going to be on blockchain, but it's not going to be a coin, you know? Yeah, but that, but but therein lies the point, Tom, is a real estate company that has a website's not an internet company. They're a real estate company using a website. They're using Skype. Yeah. They're using Zoom. Those are technologies that run on the internet. Right. Blockchain is the framework that all these different technologies run on. So there's going to be real estate companies using blockchain for title for land trust, they're gonna eliminate notary, like they're gonna use the technology, they're still gonna be a real estate company. Mm -hmm. But for a while, they were a blockchain real estate company raising money and it was it was fun, but it was a, it was a bit of a cluster disaster because it's, it's messed the industry up a little bit. So you have tokens, which are cryptocurrency. To me, those are glorified penny stocks. Yeah. Ripple, Cardano, Link. They're, they're glorified penny stocks. You buy it at 15 cents and hope you sell it at a dollar. Right. There's Bitcoin to me, which is sort of like gold. A brick of gold's $500,000. A gold coin's $50. A, a unit of Bitcoin's 10,000, but you can buy a fraction. But just like the $50 coin, that goes up and down the same percentage as a $500,000 brick of gold. So a unit, a fractional unit of Bitcoin goes up and down by the same percentage. I tell my friends, investor, who cares what Bitcoin's worth? It could be worth 10,000, it'll be worth 100,000. It doesn't matter. It's what's that unit worth fractionally? What percentage does it go up from when you bought it? Mm -hmm. no, you know, so, At the end so of the there's day, a bunch of different things that, that the industry is still catching up on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the last thing I know, I know we're coming to kind of the end of our show, you know, but I didn't want to kind of branch off into, you know, how this whole pandemic has affected, you know, uh, Moneta Pro and whether it's affected, you know, any, any part of the business, uh, you know, we, we know that you don't like the word pivot, you like the word per tack. Can you kind of explain what tack, uh, is and why that's, you think it's better than the word pivot? Cause it's a very common thing I talk about on the show. Yeah, Silicon Valley's all pivot, pivot, pivot. And when I was teaching sales and understanding this and building companies, again, the bullseye to me, so you can use one of two analogies and they're both identical. You can use an airplane or you can use a sailboat. And TAC actually is the sailboat. When you start out in a sailboat, you say, hey, I'm going from point A to point B. This is my destination. Now, along the way, the winds may change. You've got to make adjustments but you know you're in destination, you just make adjustments along the way. Mm -hmm. Airplanes, the same thing. An airplane never flies straight. It's constantly adjusting. That adjustment might be 
changing your terminology. That adjustment might be who your target market is. That adjustment might be how you present the company. But to me, that's not a pivot. A pivot is, oh shit, the plane's up and doesn't know where it's going. Now it's going to turn around and go somewhere else. Like I, I want to know what's my destination and then how do I make adjustments to get there? Just like when you asked me on Manetapro, like here's my target goal. Here's my exit value. Here's the companies I want to buy it. How I get there is still kind of a work in progress, but I know yeah. the goal. So I make tax adjustments along the way. No, that's a, it's a phenomenal mindset around, you know, goals because it, because the pivot sounds like you almost change your goal. It sounds like you like didn't know what you were doing and then you just decided to change it completely. And now you're going this other direction, right? Whereas that is not entrepreneurship or usually like, I mean, if you, if we, if we go a certain direction and we, and we believe in that direction, right. And we put all of our effort into it, money into it, time into it, everything. Right. And then all of a sudden, halfway through, you're like, oh, I need to pivot. What you're doing is you're saying, you're essentially saying you need, you distrusted your original decision, which then is really a discredit to your own mindset, your own belief in yourself. Right. So, I mean, I think that's really, really important to understand. Like if we're going to, if we have this one big goal, this one definite major aim and purpose, making sure that we stay on tr track with that, but then adjusting along the way to ensure that that goal is right. Achieved. And, and again, that's where my step one of the 10 steps are, is, you know, what are these goals? What are the outputs? Like, you know, if, if I build a company, it has to give me the chance to at least have a net worth of X. I like dealing with athletes and entertainers and big companies. I don't want to deal with Johnny Lunchbucket in Des Moines, Iowa. I did that. So I built my life around the concepts and the, the events and the places I get to go is Ted and Davos and Milken because I like that. I want to sell to big enterprises. I want a bigger exit. Mm -hmm. Now, how I get there may change along the way, but that goal and destination is always the same. And I tell people, do you want a business or a company? There's a difference. A business is a lifestyle business. You can go home at six and feed your kids and take your wife on a vacation. And you might have 10 or 20 or 30 employees. And that gives you a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. A company might have 50,000 employees and you're a public CEO. And like it's, it, it's completely different of what those outcomes are. And you, if you don't know what you want at the end, then building the company along the way, like you, you can make all these adjustments. So I'm a big proponent of saying, what do you really want your lifestyle to be like? You know, what do you want your net worth to be? What do you want your income to be? What do you want to do for others to give back? And then find a company that gets you the opportunity to have those goals and just make adjustments along the way to get there. That's phenomenal. Yeah, we don't have, we're going to have a lot of, a lot of talks after the show, <laughs> but I did want to, uh, I didn't want to actually kind of ask you a final question um, before we're done here. And I always kind of bounce on this just because it's an interesting um, subject. And with the listeners, I think they would, they, they like, they like this question specifically is, you know, let's say I'm at Moneta Pro, you know, you got that, you know, uh, 5 million funding, you know, the three to five companies come on board, you know, you retain 65% of, you know, the equity, and then you exit, you know, for billions of dollars and literally tomorrow, right? You can start a new company and you can do, you know, whatever you wanted to, given the information that you have with the market and the industry and everything else, what business would you start? Oh, it, and, and I get that question a lot. It's funny and it's fair. Um, 
in 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 the company I have technically is called Big Bamboo, which is the incubator. Mm-hmm. We have another company I've started in there called Magmo for Magic Moments. It's one of the companies that took public and then we took it back. It's a publishing tool for for the narcissist musicians that want to sell into social. Okay. I've got another one we did called Thanks for Your Service that's four fingers over your heart as a way for people to tell police, veterans, and fire thank you. And we created hats and masks that people can buy and then sell to the funeral and foundations as a fundraising tool to help others. I've, I've got six or seven of our own companies I would fund more okay. into the gap of companies I want to build to try and help other people be successful and change the world. I've got a water conservation product that saves water, plastic, power, pollution, and money in 60 seconds and will win a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> like I've, I, I've got my own list of companies that I, if I had more money, I would overfund those companies and hire the best people I could to run them. That's, that's the issue. When you build a new company, raising money is hard. Yeah. takes a lot of time. Then finding good people, you know, so it, it takes a lot of time. My joke is I can build two or three cars. That's the tech. I can only drive one car at a time. Yeah. I had more money. I have a bigger garage, like a racing team. Right. (laughs) Even Elon Musk only runs, he only runs two companies a a month. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And even that with, with Tesla, the main guy that ran it, Elon started Tesla primarily for batteries. He didn't, he doesn't really care about the cars. He, to him, it was, how do you prove and improve the batteries? That's why he started the gigawatt factory. The battery technology is the important part, not the cars. Same thing, in my opinion, with boring. The reason he wanted to bore holes down to downtown LA, you're never going to drive cars in a tunnel to downtown LA. We're going we're gonna to have flying drones over 10 highway long before we'll have tunnels going to downtown LA. But it proves the technology to drill on Mars. <laughs> so it, like you, some of these guys, you always have to say, oh, what's the, do you really want to build tunnels to downtown LA? Or are you trying to drive down the cost and improve technology. He was just getting funding to be able to prove a certain direction. Just so that to we prove that because once we get to Mars, you're going to have to bore underground. We have to improve that technology. So I, I love studying these guys. Some of them I've known for years. It's like, what's the bigger play? Yeah. What's the real goal? Like these guys have different goals at the end and it's not always what we think it is based on what we see. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Really great feedback. Well, Stephen, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Um, you know, we'll definitely have you on the show a little bit later on this year as you continue to grow and Mineta Pro, you know, is taking over, uh, the country and this, or the world in this amazing $17 trillion space. So really appreciate it. Um, and all your feedback and we'll have to, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks Tom. Hey, real quick in closing the bullseyeguy.com, the website that's up has podcasts, it has the 10 step program I went through all of that information's out there. Cause I love sharing that content. So yeah. anybody wants it can go to the bullseye There's tons of stuff out there. Fantastic. And you have an email address anyone can reach out to you in case they want to do funding or they uh, saying Steven at the bullseye Awesome. Cool. Thanks so much, Steven. All right. Thanks guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the iSmart podcast show. If you are a business owner with multiple streams of income or professional who would like to be on the daily program, please visit iSmartNetworks.com slash guest. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with hashtag iSmartPodcast. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. 
What do you win? We'll promote you and your business to our media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up? In your podcast player right now, please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. We promise to read it all and take action. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. While you're at it, hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow. That's right. Seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 minutes a day. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being a part of the iSmart Podcast.